we teach the importance of data, we teach the importance of design thinking, we teach the importance of taking it to market to access a bigger market. Hello there, I am Mike Stopforth and of course this is The One-Eyed Man, a show where I talk to talented people doing really meaningful and interesting work at the intersections of leadership, technology and impact. To those of you who are here as return listeners, I'm eternally grateful. Thank you for your support. You know what would be amazing if, is if you could maybe jump to your podcast platform and give the show a little bit of a review hopefully a positive one but that would be amazing that would help me a great deal and of course if you're here for the very first time i want to extend you a heartfelt welcome my guest on this week's show is asia adams asia has a background in the defense aerospace and engineering world but has pursued her passion her calling as an impactful social and digital entrepreneur in her current capacity as the founder and ceo of abugu kuli hope I didn't butcher that completely. This business is, well, this nonprofit is an accelerator and incubator that provides entrepreneurship skills, applications, programs, tools in a variety of functional areas, preparing the unemployed, preparing small business owners, preparing aspiring digital entrepreneurs for the emerging gig economy. In this episode, we talk about the void in digital skills and literacy in our country, we talk about what that void, that chasm means for the broader economy. And of course, we talk uh, specifically about how ASEA's organization is making significant strides in narrowing this gap. asia has got an absolutely effervescent personality. She is magnetic in her presence. I loved talking to her. I learned a lot from our discussion and I trust that you will enjoy the conversation. Over to Asia. So Asia, your journey started really in HR and talent engagement in the in the more corporate side of things, as far as I can gather. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences in that world <laughs> on the dark side and why that inspired you to uh, start an initiative centered around digital literacy? Absolutely. And, and thanks for the opportunity, Mike. So how far back do you want me to go? Because then people will just work out my age. So I'll just go like one job ahead. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sorry. Um, well, just like the other day, the other day, one of my major achievements and, and things that I did, I did my internship on training and development because I've got my long title, ODETDP qualification. This is after my BA. And um Actually. I had to do an internship and I did it at this company that's a engineering aerospace and defense company. They also mm. manufacture electronic equipment. It's uh, the old Plessy, you know, and their names have just changed during the years. They've been around for like 60 odd years. Um, I did it and then I went away because my internship was done. And when I went away, I was given the opportunity to set up the Barlow World Training Academy. And I think, you know, learning to set up a whole center, this is, there's nothing there. So it's at the Painting Academy and was at the time of the World Cup and they mm. were preparing what we for and they were preparing entrepreneurs to uh, set up their own business, start cooperatives and in turn return on investment is that they get to buy from Barlow World. You know, because Barlow World couldn't obviously send it. It was a really good initiative. I think it was a win-win for everyone. 
There was absolutely nothing there. And I think you don't learn if you, you know, you're given nothing. And the people that taught me the most, of course, the people around me, I was very young, um, but also the learners. So they got 500 rand per month. And I remember I would walk in and everyone would bring something, poloni, bread, you know, and, and so that really like you just motivated to make this world a better place, you know, because mm. there are real amazing kids out there that just given the raw end of the stick. Um, and I also relate, I come from the Cape Flats. I think you and I touched on it. I grew up in a really poor neighborhood. And if you take the poverty and the struggles out of it, I think the one thing is that I felt very dismissed. I felt very undermined. I might not have been exposed mm. to things like, you know, business boardrooms or even a computer, you know, at the time. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I had it in me, you know, I wish, I wish somebody could have seen my potential, given me the break during a really tough time. Dad lost his job. He was 50. Mum was working as a tea girl. She gave it up and started her own business. She's actually one of my really, really big motivators in life. And so all of this are just, I feel, a disadvantage because of your background. And I feel this is where I wanted to make the change. So that's my journey. Bollywood's mm. a big name. I just set up the quality management systems, you know, talk to the subject matter experts. And the beauty of it was, you know, they had the fiber tissues board. So they build a whole house, the gutter, everything. And that house goes to the township when it's done. Yeah. It gets donated. And so I thought painting, I mean, what's into painting? We paint for Eid and, you know, people paint for Christmas. But there's so much, the housekeeping and all of that. And when I watched the learners, because this is their breakthrough, and I just want to quickly digress. One of the learners, there was he was older, he was more mature, he was a Rastafari, mm -hmm. he was very like trying to keep the peace, trying to keep the group. And I remembered when I had to give a lesson, I said, just remember, you market yourself. When you walk out here, you are your brand. If you're going to start your business, you are yeah. your brand. And he lived in Kailicha and he took the train and he saw a man with a briefcase walking to a nice car. And he said, sorry, sir, uh, I'll never forget his name, Moses Ngesi. I had on this beanie. You know, even my mom was like, I don't know, there's a guy waiting for you here. Uh -huh. um, and he went to this guy and he said, I don't know what you do, but I know I'm going to work with you. And this <laughs> guy said, who are you? Like, who do you think you are? Yeah. And he said, my name is Moses Ngesi. I'm doing painting through the Barlow World Academy. And I have a feeling we're going to work together. He said, man, <laughs> I am the director of Azrin Properties, which wow. means that you are in luck. So Moses, he said to me, I want to see your potential, draw up a proposal. I lived in the southern suburbs and my parents lived on the Cape Flats. And so it was easy for him to meet me there. I still remembered my mom let him stand outside because she's like, here's a guy here for you. But he looked, you know, to her, he looked really dodgy. <laughs> We worked through the proposal, the business side to it, and he got the contract. Every development that mm. went up, he could reel in all the other learners and, and he could do it. So Moses wanted to buy me something and I said, you know, just praise, but he could buy his own laptop. They were 12 people in a shack. And yeah, it does sound like we like to ride on these stories. We, oh, they did so well. But that wasn't the... the the side that I wanted to show. I wanted to show that mm. we never know who we speak with. We never know if that person could be the next. He's got nothing to lose. He could have just said, dude, get away from me. Um, that motivated me even more. That was my dream, to see someone 
I wish I had that opportunity. And so I wanted to live my life vicariously through, you know, learners and training academies. And that was my motto since that day. I was like, I'm going to live like this is me back in the day that had the the expertise or, or, or the potential. I wouldn't say expertise, the potential, and I could make it. And that was the start of my long start of my journey, my career. And I think after being that, I went back to the training company, uh, to the defense company, because they were looking for someone and she whispered in my ear, she's still one of my closest mentors. And she said, I'm leaving. She was a training manager. I'm just an intern. She said, you better shape up in three months because I'm going to recommend you. And that was my journey. Hmm. That was where I was incredible, I, I, you've reminded me of a, uh, this is a, this is a, an episode about you, but I'm going to tell a quick anecdote um, from my personal experience, because I think it also illustrates how the assumptions we make about people's understanding of technology is often a major obstacle to their progress. And it's so easy if you've been surrounded by technology your whole life to assume that it makes sense for other people in the same way that it does for you. So we've got a We've got a little apartment down in Cape Town. We've got a helper that assists us at that apartment. And the little complex that the apartment is in has recently changed its security policy. So you can't leave keys um, at the front gate with security anymore. You need to have a lockbox. Um, so I, I put on my best DIY face the other day and I bought a lockbox from Builders and we installed the lockbox. And it's a simple little combination lock on the lockbox. And Obviously, when we left the apartment the next day, the helper came uh, to, to assist us in cleaning it up and getting it ready for the next guests. Um, and we had to explain over a video how the lockbox worked. Now, when I was a kid, my dad had like a briefcase. You mentioned a briefcase earlier on. And that briefcase had one of those little ratchety uh, combination locks on it. From the youngest age, I've been exposed to those little weird little combinations, whether it was a bicycle lock or... But even my dad having a briefcase, uh, me having a bicycle, those were all privileges that I had as a kid, right? Um, and our helper has never had exposure to those little ratchety combination locks. So for her, it was a completely new piece of technology that it was very easy for us to get frustrated explaining to her how to use it. But the assumptions that we make that she was ready to engage with that were kind of like, you know, that was that was potentially disabling from our side. And I can see how, you know, everybody... Everybody shouts from the rooftops that entrepreneurship and the enablement linked to entrepreneurship is the secret to our success and our future in South Africa. If we don't enable and support small businesses, how are we possibly going to create the jobs that we need to create and, and bolster the economy in the way that we do? But, but just being enthusiastic about entrepreneurship is a fraction of the problem, right? Like this, even if you create, even if you liberate capital, to support those initiatives, it's still only a fraction of the problem because, you know, access to networks, access to knowledge and experience with these tools, all of these things are almost priceless over and above access to capital, right? So I think this is very much where your passion lies. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I spoke earlier about my mom. So what my mom did, because we couldn't, my dad was, you know, he was unemployed, but they worked at the same companies. It was very awkward. It was a very awkward situation. I'll explain it to you again on another day. Hopefully we'll have this chat. But um, 
I remember she gave up a job and uh, my mom then, oh, sorry, she first worked for a designer company. So she's got uh, cards from Miss SA, Miss Universe. She used to make their clothes and they stopped her from going to a prayer room that's one house away in the road during her lunch hour. They said they don't want her to leave the premises and she's Mm -hmm. like, it's my lunch hour. I literally take 10 minutes to pray and come back. And so they didn't like that. And she said, you know what? Sometimes you just need to know when it's time to go. She stayed at home. Now, keeping in mind, my dad didn't have work. My brother was at Technicon back then. It was Technicon. I was in matric. Mm -hmm. It was a really tough time. My mom said, that's it. So the local communities have this local newspaper. I will never forget this. Uh, This ad costed my mom 60 rand for six runs, Mm -hmm. six weeks, right? Mm -hmm. 60 rand is my mom's salary, is my mom's wages for two weeks. She had, she gets 30 rand per week. So that's yeah. a lot of money that my mom was just sure. going to throw. Massive investment. Yeah. So my mom did it. It's the only ad she's ever paid for. She had wow. uh, customers, repeat customers coming in. Now, if you take my mom and you replace her with me in that era, if she, if she had everything I have today, I feel she would have been an amazing entrepreneur. Mm. She would have had everything, you know, digital access with her skills. She's worked for. Absolutely. She's worked. And my mom's Virgo. (laughs) I'm not into star size, but she's OCD. So even when she made me clothes, she would steam it, put it on a hanger. She had her own labels that she paid for and she would sew it on there. And then she's got this plastic sheets over it. That's the etiquette, right? And so if you took her and you look at the prices people charge today for what what she did, an average dress would probably cost 20,000 rand. My mom charged you 100 rand, you know, maybe, or 50 rand. So if we take that out, and I think on the one hand, we do need lots of digital training. I mean, Mm. for me to start my first job working on a computer, pretending I know because you also want to fit in. You, you know you want to boost your confidence and all of that, and you don't want to lose this job. So I don't want to tell you mm. I can't do it. And I, I'm mm. sure that's what the domestic was feeling. You know, she she was doing everything well, and she's like, I don't want them to think I'm stupid or I can't course, do this. Of course, of yeah, course. There's nothing worse and than so feeling like you, you can't navigate yourself through something that other people find obvious, right? Right. And also, sometimes our tones as well. You know, so if you just listen to how we speak to our parents, we're like, mommy, you just send the message. And you're like, Bro, this wasn't the era. This is my era. So I feel that there's a part of, you know, that we're missing out in this country, and that's the informal traders. Give them a little bit of tools because they're making money, and guess who they're empowering? The community. You know, so the person helping them make the cake is from the community. Uh, That person takes a taxi from the community. You know, and so a big part of it that I feel we're leaving out is the informal uh, traders and and that informal economy. But the reason why I looked at um, digital entrepreneurship and looking at entrepreneurship on the whole is because I feel a lot of entrepreneurs, the achievement is just to get registered. I don't know if you've dealt with somebody who's just... And and so that achievement is they're going to make lots of money. They've got a whole registration certificate. And then the mm. second achievement is when they get somebody to develop their website, keeping in mind they take about three months because of payment, because of time. Sure. My issue with that, Mike, is nobody comes to your website. 
So nobody teaches him to bring traffic there. Yeah. Two, yeah. a registration certificate. I've seen somebody charge something like 2,000 Rand when it's 250 Rand online. <laughs> People don't know how to register their own companies. So I have an orphanage that I'm a volunteer and to try and get them up and running. We're now busy with the accreditation. They're like, we can go do caregiver training in the community. So I got the accredited yeah. training for them. So we're applying. And just when I sent them a logo, I did it on Canva. I yeah. registered their company and got them a B certificate. They were telling the whole neighborhood how amazing their company is. And I'm like, you don't even have a client. And so I want to try and change that mindset and give access, you know, to entrepreneurs because I feel there's a mismatch. And when we send people on incubation training, no disrespect to anyone, it's the same thing we teach them. Everything yeah. but to make money. Everything but to make money. How to do your tax, um, how to register your company, how to make sure, you know, uh, they start off like this. You know what Apple's vision was? That's how you need to work on a vision. Nobody mm -hmm. cares about your vision if nobody goes to your Most to your Most unrelatable thing ever, yeah. Well, when I hear that, Mike, I'm like, really? So Apple and I are the same. And, and here's the thing. So they give you two months to work on your vision and mission. And there wasn't one person on your website yet. What's more important? Yeah. I'd rather yeah. go to your website and say, oh, terrible website, but there's traffic there, you know, yeah. than to draw up a mission and vision. So, sorry, I'm just digressing, but that's my real, like, oh, it just, just gets to me. And I see all these incubators and I'm like, can we have more enterprise supply development incubators? Exactly what you were saying, access to market. If all these big companies don't take random people just for their whatever scorecards or audits or whatever, if they sure. only select people that they're looking to grow in their supply chain, wouldn't that mm -hmm. be a better option? You know, so I bake cake and it's Charlie's Bakery, so they're going to take me. And then somebody who supplies ingredients, they're going to take me and grow me. And together, you know that there's going to be efficiency and production and everyone makes money. But I feel like it's random. They're just trying to tick the boxes and there's a whole lot of people there. And at the end of the day, you're so excited after the learnings and then no money. Hmm. We've solved new entrepreneurs and we keep starving the, them. The problem with this, Asia, is that it's an elephant-sized problem, right? Like you're talking about where do you even begin to articulate the scale and scope of the challenge that faces new entrepreneurs uh, or small business owners or inform, even informal traders in South Africa? And, and I suppose you started with that problem statement is, you know, how do I eat this elephant? And for you, pop a big part of that, not the entire story, but a big part of it, because you probably can't solve the whole problem, but is is around this, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the phrase fourth industrial revolution, but, but broadly speaking, emerging digital technologies um, that provide us an opportunity, you, you know, you spoke about using Canva to get a minimum viable product version of a logo up and running, you know, something that somebody who hasn't been exposed to their tool, all those tools, types of tools, wouldn't even know is possible um, and therefore might land up paying 10,000 Rand, which for them would be an enormous amount of money to get a corporate identity developed. Um, but, but, you know, so how do you practically and meaningfully distribute digital skills to those who most need those skills? Um, how do you solve that problem? So I think one of the things that we don't like saying is that uh, you have a terrible business. 
I wish people would have said that to me. You know, um, I feel like with your knowledge and with your exposure, you have a duty to tell me that's a terrible um, business. You know, I always say this, uh, and it's only my experience I speak from. I say, when you speak to a person of color, whether it be an African or whether it be a colored person, and I'm speaking very general, and you say to them, what business do you want to start? Do you know mm. how they answer this? I want to start a business in so that I can help people. Nobody asks for that. Mm. If I sell, I don't know, hair pieces of 30,000 rand, I'm not helping anyone. But it's mm. like the guilt of, I don't just want to make money, I want to help people. And I, mm. the next question to them is, why can't it be separate? If you make money, you can give money. Like nobody said mm. it has to be the same. And so... Yeah. First things first is, you know, looking at ideas and we talk and we talk ourselves into an idea, but we're not ready to follow it up. Mm-hmm. When we follow it up, we follow up too long. We're going to do research. We're going to build a whole weave, let's say. We're going to build a whole building. And I'm like, you've built it, but you haven't marketed at the same time. And so yeah. what do people or don't like tested it? whether people want this product or, yeah. Absolutely. And so these things is it's driven by passion and also our insecurities. I speak for me. So you said I'm going to be a failure. You always told me that or I felt that way. And so I started this business and so I'm going to prove it. And whether it does good or bad, I'm going to prove it. So the first thing we teach our students is design thinking. But the second thing we teach them is um, if it doesn't make money, let it go. Hmm. Let it go. I think it's a really important point that I want to I want to get into without losing it is that for people who aren't or haven't been exposed to design thinking how do you explain that to somebody who's never who's never been exposed to the 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 methodology or the ideology of design thinking before Absolutely so design thinking is what engineers use basically it's a five-step that they use where you have to survey the product. Um, you have to look at the broader side to it and then bring it in and then see how it is and then interview people on the product. And, and just mm-hmm. the interview process, I don't know why people just don't want to ask. There's lots of people that are prepared to. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's before you get to your final product. I use it in my life. I use Mm. design thinking for my life. I'm like, is this going to work? Um, Let me test it. Let me ask around. Let me see. Um, And it's that keeping this because you're so afraid that somebody's going to hate on you and not say anything, you know. Very much centered around a customer's problem, isn't it? Absolutely. The beauty of digital, Mike, is what we're trying to preach the gospel is – Digital doesn't always need you to have a full-on office like this. Digital doesn't always need you to have the full product gone out. So I'll give you a perfect example. I watch top guys and and females, right? Mm. So there are two people that I watch that I am not fans of. I want to make it very clear. Not fans of both of them. Elon Musk. Elon Mm. Musk sold an idea before he even manufactured it. Do you know what that is? That's great PR in marketing. Sure. sure. I'm great not a brand, fan yeah. of the Kardashians. And I said, oh, I can't stand them, just their voices. And my friend who's a PR, she's got her own PR company. She said, their mom is the best PR person on this planet. Sure. She sold her daughters where you believed to this day that they were amazing. Mm. That 
is brilliant. And so we live in that world of creating a need you didn't know you had. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and that's when she preached to me because she said, you know what your problem is? She said, your problem is you do amazing work, but the world doesn't know. You need to let the world know what you're doing. This is a world of out there. It's a world of influences. It's a world of uh, making yourself known. The one who's made known is the one who gets it. What if we take all the informal traders and all that SMMEs that are working so hard and we let the world know of the amazing work they're doing? Wouldn't that be a different way to do it? So you asked, sorry, I digress. You asked, how do we do this? How do we get the entrepreneurs, you know, to get on board? It's going to be definitely um, commercial companies. So you incentivize them, whether it be the BE spend, whether it be the CSI, there's got to be an element of, because I don't think entrepreneurs, one, can afford it, or two, think they need it. They not mm. might they might not be at that level, so you incentivize both sides, mm. where they get not training only but tools and tips. You started that bakery company. I want you to start a social media page. That's how social mm. media works. Trial and test. You know, I uh, there was a guy. He's a, an influencer. I watch how influencers make it on their page, and he does this thing. He just says it's the way you act. It's the way you act. He tried three years ago. His page didn't take off. In two days, he reached a million followers. Hmm. It was so catchy. Everybody wanted his call. He's called Pookie. If there's something that people like, I said to my friend yesterday, don't preach. Don't go in there and say, we sell this, we sell this. What you need to do is uh, tell people how to wear your perfume, what's good scent for summer. Teach, right? And then you say, by the way, we have it. But don't go in marketing. People don't like that at all. I suppose one of the dangers of building digital literacy and especially around social tools, the likes of which you've just spoken about, the likes of which that enable this, in in some instances, sort of meteoric rise of influence um, and, and what is perceived success for especially people who I think have been disenfranchised or underserved and are looking for a quick way to get into the conversation and into the commercial ecosystem. One of the dangers of it is that it it must feel for many of your learners and many of the entrepreneurs that you're working with, like it must feel like a silver bullet. And I suppose you also want to be careful that you don't create an unrealistic Kardashian-esque type expectation for everybody that is oh, wow, I've got a TikTok account. Now I'm going to be famous. Um, that's also a bit of a danger, isn't it? How do, you, how do you sort of temper that expectation and moderate people's, you know, it's the same thing as you were saying earlier on, I've got a website, so now, I, like, my business is going to be fine. And that's, again, it's only half the problem, right? You, you've, got to, you've got to solve the other end of that equation. Absolutely. So I also feel with this 4-hour, we created a cult. I think you and I touched on this the last time. We created this cult. Um, Mike and I are in the 4-hour. We go to the same conventions and conferences. And so we became experts. What you're doing there is you are marginalizing and letting out a big part of a very big part of our economy, important part of our economy. Sure. So when people ask me, uh, I had a guy challenge me. I like to use real life um, examples. He fixes cell phones. He said, you and your 4IR, how do I digitize my business? I fix cell phones. I said, how do you tell people their phones are ready? He says, they come Mm in. So six people at your desk in the township coming in. That must be annoying. Mm. He said, yeah, but they come in. I said, and every day? Oh, you know, 
So they just annoy it coming in every day and it's not done yet. He said, mm-hmm. yeah, I said, if you pay 60 Rand, you can get something like a thousand SMSs. If you use WhatsApp for business, I can show you, you can say, thanks for coming in. We will let you know when your phone's ready mm-hmm. or we're still working on it and that's it. And it can be mm-hmm. default messages. So anyway, so he said, I'll try it. I doubt our people will listen. So he used the WhatsApp for business and he did that. And he called me, he said, man, it works. I said, now mm-hmm. I'm going to challenge you again. Go and buy electricity, the machine. And then you tell them, we've got a special, we're even selling electricity. So while you're coming in for your phone, we've got electricity. I said, mm-hmm. and here's a tracker to say when their phone has come in and when it's going out. That tracker is not just for them. That tracker is for you. You know, give it another three months, that phone's dead. You can sell them a new phone. Yeah. And he's like, you really didn't think an informal trader. And the reason why I use this example is because why are we so far out with 4IR? We're always talking sure. about robots and software right? development. And, you know, why don't we say if you change just one or two things about a small business, that's it. If you get a plumber to use digital invoicing for free, you know what a difference that will make? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I want to try and get on the ground with the knowledge that I have and that's mm. how our programs are. It's not mm. far-fetched. It's not, we don't say to them, go on Instagram, go on TikTok, go on this. We say to them, start. Because very people are not going to trust you. There's no presence. Yeah. Absolutely. And for your business, Insta is better. For your business, Facebook is better. So we try and do that part to it. And also, the fact that they're using digital to eliminate things that they are doing things like operations that they are doing, things like trying to communicate. It's, there are so many free apps. So our program is called Tools, Apps, and Tips that we try and let you do. Hands-on, get out there. It's just a little bit that makes a world of difference. Just showing them how to hashtag makes a world of difference, mm, you know? Mm. And so I don't think everyone has a great business idea. I don't think everyone will succeed because – I'm one of them. I'm I'm not from practice what I preach. I go on LinkedIn and then I tell you about, I had this amazing interview with Mike and then I'm off because I really don't have time to be on social media all the time. Mm. So obviously these things all affects, you know, your algorithm and the timeline. But what I do think is we've changed, we've done a mind shift somewhere. You know, the thought of them not thinking just my community is alone a bigger thought because when you think there, you're going to get there. That's to me, I feel there's a mind shift when people say, you know what, we must just change the mindset of people. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? I honestly want to know because the way you sound is as if uh, people that live in poorer communities don't think they do have entrepreneurial skills because they're in survival mode. They just don't think big because they're in survival mode. And for them to think big, they're going to say, oh, I just need 500 million. And you're like, for what? You can do this, this, and this. Go get the money in. You can fund yourself. Get the clients and fund yourself. Because if you don't get the clients now, you're not going to get clients to, you know, pay off the loan. So mm. one of the two. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, so in the interest of, of being practical, tell us exactly what it is that you've built, how it works, how people find you, how the flow of knowledge and money works in your business so that, uh, I mean, there might be people potentially who are listening to the show that are interested in contributing to your suite or library of skill sets. 
There might be people that, that hear opportunities for collaboration. I hope that there are people that hear opportunities to inject investment and, like you said, uh, enterprise development or uh, social development spend. Tell us a little bit about the mechanics of the organization so that we can, uh, we can support you better. Thank you. So digital entrepreneurship and incubation was completely an add-on. People have been asking me and, you know, they would call me for advice and I'd be like, why don't you just do this? And and then I said, look, we're a group of people. Let's just write a program. So we teach the importance of data. We teach the importance of design thinking. We teach the importance of taking it to market to access a bigger market. That's our aim. And so on this platform, when we teach, it's all online. When we teach it, our aim is to take your small business so people know about you, but also so that you use tools for operations and you use tools for marketing. I think those are the Mm -hmm. two most important. Mm -hmm. The very end of all our digital entrepreneurship, I'm just skipping, we have a presentation. You have three minutes to pitch. We don't give them more than that. Hmm. These kids have never, oh, these people, sorry, I'm talking about my last graduate program. I'm so sorry, undergrad and postgrad. So the entrepreneurs have never been exposed to selling to you, to pitching to you. Hmm. And so I'm like, you don't have to work hard. You know, Canvas got the templates. It looks professional. It's done well. This is what you do. You start out and say, I need five million. Don't run all this stuff and then you come to the end, you say, oh, I need five million. Uh, The person looking at it. So we give them all these tips. So that is basically our digital entrepreneurship program goes. But we also have digital entrepreneurship program for gig workers. Mm. The one hand, we teach you the actual technical skill. So whether it be chatbot development, mobile app, data analytics, cybersecurity, we teach you that. Then we teach you how to set up your profile on all of these platforms, Upwork, Fiverr, LinkedIn. We set it up. Then we teach you how to take jobs. So we mock it up, simulate it. And then we teach you what platforms to use to convert the money. And then we teach you how to collaborate so that you can take on bigger jobs. The more you work, the more money you get in. The difference between today and back then is as a freelancer, I had to look for a company and hope and pray you and I get along because somewhere we're not going to get along. Sure. Now, you don't even know me. You have no idea how I look, how I speak, nothing. All you know is the work I do. And I think that's more important. So we try and push out quality work. So for the next six months after the program, we are their coaches and mentors, help them digitally and all of that, whether it be e-commerce development, web development, all of that. Then they make money. That is our two platforms on digital entrepreneurship. The rest of the technical skills are for IR skills that I think most people are rolling out, like artificial intelligence, software development, data science, cybersecurity, robotics. What I don't like doing is giving you a technical skill that fits in nowhere. I had a little bit of a a disagreement and this guy said, we roll out 6,000 students. You can hear it's a politician. 6,000 students. I said, what do you teach them? He said, coding. I said, oh, and are they working? Yeah, they've been placed. I said, no, no, no. Are they generating an income? I said, there's no company that I know that will take a code and say, okay, start mm-hmm. completely. So I said, what you're doing is you're running numbers. So the same that we do with drone license. So you've got a drone license. So what? So we teach drone license with precision agriculture. We teach drone license with videography. What I want you to do is to be self-sufficient. 
because there's a need for what you're doing. A cousin of mine, he was studying graphic design and then he wanted to do drone license. And so he finished his degree and he did the drone license as well, but he's got two drone licenses, the one that you can see beyond line of, visual line of sight and the normal one. He says when he goes in for a graphic design, the first thing they see on his interview is, you have a drone license? He's like, Asya, like I, every time when I walk in, like I'm just like everything. And that's the beauty of it. You know, that's the beauty of, I can send him out. So while he's not doing graphic design, he goes out, does uh, aerial mapping and surveillance. Mm-hmm. And so if we do more of that self, you know, sustainable self-sufficiency, then that is, I think, ultimately how we're going to get there one person at a time. Because we keep ignoring the most important fact in South Africa, again, my opinion, we can't put little plasters on, you know, the crime and the orphans. And the, what we need to do is give people money. We need to teach them how to make money. So when I live in a township and I'm really struggling, like Moses did, 12 people in the shack, he can now move out and buy himself a house. And that's how you elevate the economy. You know, that's how you grow it. We are not talking money. For some reason in South Africa, we're not talking money. We like to talk jobs. We're at a almost 60% unemployment with our graduates. So when people say to me, if we just educate, and I'm like, you've got almost 60% educated young people mm, with our jobs. Mm. So clearly we're doing something wrong. Yeah, if we can awesome. just grow that part of our economy that has the ability to grow, entrepreneurs have, they've already got something that we can push. Informal traders definitely has. I mean, there's a couple of billion in the informal traders that's that's contributing to our economy. Sorry, I'm not giving you proper stats. I just saw billion. And then you've got unemployed youth graduates. And so you're like, if we just teach them and you can quickly accelerate the economy instead of saying, we want jobs, we want to create more jobs. Because that, I feel, is a politician's way of saying it. It's not a realistic way of putting Mm it. Where do people find you? Um, How do they connect with you? How can they uh, share information with you or get information from you? What is the best way for them to reach you and connect with you? Definitely not at a gym. (laughs) Maybe with his cake. Yeah. So at a gym, but only if there's cake involved. Right. Carrot cake specifically. Um, (laughs) They'll find me there. If they they just put food outside, I'll probably smell it. Uh, Jokes aside. Uh, So abagukuli is our website. So A-B-A-G-U-Q-U-L-I.co.za. Alternatively, they can just email on there, which is info at abagukuli.co.za. They can also subscribe to our newsletters. Mm -hmm. They can find us on our LinkedIn page. I don't think it's that common name. So if they do uh, put it in, they'll find us. If I'm not available, I've got an amazing team. We're not a massive team, but we're an amazing team and we have strategic partners. To mention one of them is a high institution. We're just signing the agreement where we have come to an agreement that our informal traders go through our program. Their students, their master's and PhD engineering students, gets to do a project to design an app for the informal traders. Hmm. So we're Incredible. giving them the informal traders and they're giving us an app. Nice and biased. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's it, they get the skills and we obviously get the benefits of the app. 
that's where you'll find us. Um, otherwise, on your channel, <laughs> they can just come back here and listen to the podcast and, you know, just see. I'm sure you'll put in the captions and the titles and they can yep. look us up. We'll put all the, uh, all the important links in the show notes, of course, and in the promotion around the show. We'll make sure that we mention where people can find you and how they can connect with you. Asya, thank you for doing work that matters um, and work that matters in a field that I think we're all very passionate about, but don't always know how to connect the dots in. And I get the sense that you have a solution that does connect the dots and the challenge is just how do you do that at scale? So I certainly hope that people do reach out and do connect and do support you where they can. And really, I wish you the best of luck for the future. I hope we get to cross paths many times and I hope that we find ways to contribute positively to your work. Thank you so much. I don't think we would have gotten as far as we did without platforms like yours. Uh, we're just a small fish, uh, you know, and when people like you say, we'd like to interview you, this is our mouthpiece. This is the time for us to speak. So thanks to you um, and to your podcast. And yeah, I really know that we're going to cross paths in the future. We have so much in common. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com Click on the podcast link and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, a one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.